Why did Jesus ask this man who was already blind and can't see, but he, I'm sure all of his other senses were in tune and he could walk, he could probably, you know, knew where he was going. Couldn't he just open his eyes? But no, he says, now you go and you wash in the pool of Siloam and you will receive your sight. It required faith on his part, didn't it? Welcome, everyone, to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with senior pastor and teacher Rob Kellogg. In this miracle, Jesus took all the initiative. Jesus came to the blind man. The blind man didn't come to him. Even so, he expected the blind man to respond with faith-filled action. The healing would not have happened unless the man responded with those faith-filled, obedient actions. Being obedient to Jesus is a big deal to him. It shows trust and faith. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now let's join Pastor Rob. The Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man first examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. And for this reason, many are weak and sick and among you, and some have even fallen asleep or have died because of their unworthy attitude toward communion. Again, it was, it was, some, it was, a, it was an excess. It was something that turned into something ugly instead of something that the Lord wanted it to be. And sometimes it is sin that causes illness or sickness or even death. And again, we can sometimes secretly delight and imagine evil in our hearts when we hear of someone's malady and we think they finally got theirs. But again, we are just not qualified. In Proverbs chapter 24, it says this, Do not rejoice when your enemy falls, and do not let your heart be glad when he stumbles, lest the Lord see it, notice, and it displease him, and he turn away his wrath from him. We're just not qualified. Rather, the attitude is when you see somebody going through difficulty, you see them going through in sickness, just pray for them. And pray that God would make, that, make them aware of what it is. We just we don't know. Judge nothing before the time. Isn't that what Paul said of the Corinthians? He said, therefore, in, in 1 Corinthians 4, uh, therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes. And when he returns, who will both bring the light, bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts, and then each one's praise will come from God. 
He is the judge. He's the righteous judge. He's the only one who is qualified. So verse 4, it says, Jesus said, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Notice, the night is coming when no man can work. And Jesus here is not talking about a physical day and a physical night, but rather periods or seasons of spiritual opportunity and freedom. That's why Jesus would throttle his time in Jerusalem, because the more time he spent in Jerusalem, the more the Pharisees and the scribes wanted to put him to death. And he knew this. And so he carefully gauged with the Father. He carefully gauged when he would go there because he knew his time wasn't yet, but there was a time when it would come, and then he'd be all for it. He would face it, like go toward it like flint. But until then, he was very careful. But he's not talking about night and physical day. We know in Romans, what does it say? It says, and do this, knowing the time, Paul says to the Romans, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. And this is really good exhortation for us as Christians in America today. Awake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Notice, the night is far spent. The day is at hand. And it's not talking about day and night. It's talking about seasons of opportunity and freedom versus the opposite of those things. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but notice, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. And see, that's where we as America, we need to be as Christians, especially in light of everything that's going on in the world right now. We need to understand that the day is far spent. And when the day is finally ending, the Lord's going to call us out. And we're going to see our... We're not going to be exempt from difficult times, understand that. But we're not going to go through that great tribulation. But that doesn't mean that we won't go through some tribulation. In fact, I believe we're going to go through some. And then when the day is far spent, then God is going to call us up. And we are going to rise and we will be changed and we will meet him in the air and forever we'll be with him. But then the night of the world comes upon it. When there's very little opportunity, it's going to be a period of darkness unlike any other period in history. We've looked at that when we were going through Revelation. But the day is quickly passing. And if this is the case, then how much more serious should we be? How much more should we put off those unfruitful works of darkness and rather put on the armor of light and do those things that we know are pleasing to the Lord? I want that, don't you? I, I'm really tired. I, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I mean, we all would admit, usually people sin not because they hate it, but they sin because they love it, Right? We don't sin because we don't like it. We sin because we love it, whatever it is. It could be your vice. It could be alcohol. It could be sex. It could be drugs. Whatever it is. But then afterwards, don't you feel like gum on the bottom of shoe? <laughs> you feel horrible. And, and then we test out the, 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 the Scripture where it says the wages of sin is death. We test it out every time because when we do it, we realize that there's just a disaster waiting for us. There's always a consequence for that sin. And after a while, you know, when you get older, and you know I'm getting older, and, and I know all of us are, don't you get to the point where you're just like, you know what, I'm, I'm tired of 
I know that if I do this, this is going to happen, or I've got it, I've got it coming. It's coming. The consequence is coming. I know what's coming. And then you start thinking about that before you do whatever it is that you know is sinful. And there comes a point in your life where you're like, you know, I've had enough. I've had enough. And the Spirit of God is working in you to make you hate it. Because until you hate it, you probably won't change. I pray that God gives us a very great distaste for sin in our own life. That we will just hate it so much, we will be so glad to cave in and say, Lord, I'm not going to go there. I've been down that road too many times. And aren't you glad of his faithfulness, of his willingness to forgive you when you confess your sin? And listen to me, when you fall into sin and, 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 you, and you've done it over and over and over again, you keep confessing it and you keep asking the Lord to forgive you. And what is the, it, the truth is that he will forgive you. But you keep and give, ask him for the gift of repentance. And when you fall again, you confess it and you get back up again and you fight it and you continue to fight it. You've got to continue fighting it. So Jesus, in verse 5 here in our text, says, As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And obviously because of this, this uh, chapter that we're looking at really connects us with chapter 8 because he said the very same thing in, in, chap- or in verse 12 of chapter 8. Jesus spoke to the scribes and the Pharisees when they brought that woman who was caught in adultery, saying, I am the light of the world, and he who follows me shall not walk in darkness but have the light of life. And Jesus, obviously, giving physical sight back to this man who was born blind, in this he illustrates not only his power over physical light, and physical sight that he can give, but the spiritual insight, the spiritual sight that he and the Word of God brings to us. And we're going to see that toward the end of the chapter. And what are the benefits of light? There's some great benefits of light. Number one, without light we can't see our way through the darkness. But thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Your word, the word of God, not only Jesus himself, but the very word that we hold in our hands, the word of God, Jesus as well. He is the living word. And then we have his written word here before us. And without light, we stumble over everything. Try getting up in the middle of the night when all the lights are turned out and you're stumbling, guys. You're stumbling down to the refrigerator to get a snack at midnight. You're going in to get that lemon chiffon, uh, get another piece of that lemon chiffon pie that your mother, or that your wife, your mother, unless she may live with you, I don't know. But um, Either way, you're eating pie. You could care less and you stumble your toe. So without light, and I'm being facetious here, but without even spiritual light, we're stumbling over everything. Without light, we don't even grow spiritually. We need the light of God. And light, what does it do? It exposes and it makes everything manifest. You know, it's like when you, you, know, when you go scuba diving. If you're a snorkeler and you're down in the keys or whatever and you're snorkeling, you'll notice that you know, the light, as it's hitting the ground or hitting the ocean, if you're only, uh, a, you know, maybe five or six feet deep of the water and it's really clear, the coral looks beautiful. It's stunning in all of its colors. But you go out to where you're 50 or 60 feet deep and all of a sudden the color starts to fade. The color fades because there's no light. The light can only transfer so far down into the ocean and then it starts to fade. It starts to break down. And without light, you can't see the vivid colors and all the fish and all the intricacies of all that beauty that God has created. So light, it makes manifest. It makes it shows things for the way they really are. There's no smoke, there's no mirrors. I love that about the Lord. 
So, verse 6, when he said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva, and he anointed the eyes of the man, of the blind man with the clay. And I, I think it's interesting that he spat on the ground and he made clay. And wasn't Jesus able to just speak the word and for this man to receive his sight? Is he able just to say, receive your sight? I mean, he could have done that, but he didn't. He didn't do that. And I find that it's interesting that Jesus never does the same thing the same way twice in a row. He does things a little different. He never seems to do the exact same thing. You remember when he, hurt, when he healed another blind man. It says that when he came to Bethesda, this is Mark chapter 8, that they brought him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And so he took the blind man by the hand, led him out of the town, and when he had spit in his eyes, or on his eyes, he spat on his eyes. How do you think about that? I think that only the Son of God I would want to spit in my eyes. Like, Lord, you can do whatever you want. You can pull my hair out if it, if it works. You know, I don't care what you've got to do. You could tear my leg off. Whatever you got to do. But he, he took the blind man, he spat in his, on his eyes, and he put his hands on him, and he asked him if he saw anything. And he looked up and said, I see men like trees walking. And then he put his hands on his eyes again and made him look up, and he was restored and saw everything clearly. With this man, it seems interesting that he used the dirt of the clay, that which God had cursed, the very ground that this man was made from, right? We were, we, we, God says that he formed the dust of the earth and he breathed life into it. He resuscitated and, and made the breath of life come into that thing, into man, into Adam. And his name, literally Adam, means man from the ground, from the very elements. And Jesus takes, and you recall what happened after the fall. God speaking to Adam said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it, notice, cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth to you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat it. Thanks, Adam. (laughs) Thank you, Adam. But if it wasn't him, it would have been somebody else given time and opportunity. But notice, cursed is the ground. Jesus took the very ground that was cursed. And again, I love the picture of this because what is he doing? He's taking his very own DNA and his own saliva and he's spitting on the ground. He's taking that clay and and putting it in his hands and he's putting it on the guy's eyes. And Jesus could have just said, now open your eyes. But he didn't. He told him to go do something. There was a condition here, unlike the other man. The other man just said, okay, open your eyes again, and he saw clearly no. What does he tell him? He said, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and he washed and he came back seeing. And my question to you this morning is, why did Jesus, here's the temple mount right up here, And then why would he make this blind man who still had this clay on his eyes walk all the way down this colonnade and stumble over everybody, probably very excited, and then finally come to this pool of Siloam down here? Do you realize how long of a a trek that is for a blind man? And yet Jesus told him to do it. Why did he do it? Why did Jesus ask this man who is already blind and can't see but he, I'm sure all of his other senses were in tune and he could walk, he could probably, you know, knew where he was going. Couldn't he just open his eyes? But no, he says, now you go and you wash in the pool of Siloam 
and you will receive your sight. It required faith on his part, didn't it? It required faith on his part. He had to believe, and there was some effort involved in this, because he's going to be up there on the southern end of the Temple Mount, he's got to walk all the way down through the colonnade, through all the bustling, busy activity, and he's got to walk all the way down there to the Pool of Siloam, and then wash. And then by that time, Jesus was gone. He had to exercise some faith, didn't he? Therefore, the neighbors and those who previously had sat that, uh, that had seen that he was blind, they said, Is not this he who sat and begged? And they become so used to seeing him in that condition begging that they didn't even recognize him now. Have you ever noticed that? There, there, there's some things in life that are just like the same every single day, and you get so used to them being in the same spot, doing the same thing, that when something changes, anything, you're like, who are you? I'm so so used to seeing you here begging. You've been doing it since you were young, and and you've been doing it every day. But can you imagine what it would have been like to finally see? From the time you're born, you can't see. You're growing up, and you're thinking that everyone else maybe is the same way. You learn learn to get around by feeling around your senses. All your other senses are at, at high pitch because... That's all you've got to navigate in this world. You've never seen color. You've never seen your mother's face. You've never seen your father. You've never seen a flower in bloom. You've never seen the, 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 the blue sky and the clouds. You've never seen any of that. And then all of a sudden, pow. Can you imagine the man? I, I, I love to think about this. As Jesus rubbed that in his eyes, and he certainly knew about the other man in Bethesda, and he's thinking to himself, I'm going to be healed. He's like, whatever I've got to do, I'm going to obey him, and I'm going to get to that pool. If I've got to crawl on my knees on glass, thank God he didn't have to, but I will do anything I can to get to that pool, and I know that when I wash my eyes that I am going to see. Can you imagine the excitement as he's bustling past people, pushing them out of the way? They're going, what's up with you, man? And he's, he's like, get out of my way, get out of my way. I'm going to, get my, 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 I'm going to see, I'm going to see. You've got to believe that was the case. Because he had never seen a thing, ever. Do you understand that? And then to finally wash in the pool and then to open his eyes and and be like, you're so used to walking in the dark. You're so used to feeling your way around. Your eyes and your ears, or your I'm sorry, all your other senses are working at full capacity just to keep you on the right path. And now you can see and you're like, oh. I've heard your voice for years, and now I see you. He's walking up the colony. He's probably screaming. He's probably rejoicing. Seeing colors looking up at the sky and seeing the puffy clouds and the blue sky. Seeing the food and the animals and all these things. What an adjustment. What a shock. And so some said, this is he. Others said, he is like him. And he said, it is, I am he. And therefore, verse 10, they said to him, where were your, where, or how were your eyes open? And he answered and said, a man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And so I went and I washed and I received my sight. Then they said to him, where is he? And he said, I do not know. He didn't even know. And if this were to occur today, you've got to believe the pastor or the evangelist, the television evangelist, would be there with him with their arm around him. Yep, healed him. 
you know, and the, and the, and the news, Channel 8 and 10 and 12 and 13 and Fox and even CNN would show up. And, and they would all be there, right? And the, and, the, and the evangelists would be going, yep, did that. Got that gift, you know. I got a new book out, by the way. But no, Jesus wasn't like that. He was nowhere to be found. He wasn't looking. He, he did this. It was a private moment. Don't you love a tender moment? I love a tender, private moment. And that's what Jesus did for this man. But they brought him, verse 13, who was formerly was blind to the Pharisees, and now it was the Sabbath. Uh-oh. And then when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes, and, um, and so then the Pharisees, verse 15, they asked him, saying to the man who was healed, they asked him again how he had received his sight, and he said to them, He put clay on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. How simple it is. How simple it is. You know, God is not complicated. He, it's very simple. And everybody else wants to make it complicated. Well, did he, did he make you go through the ten steps, brother? Did you have to do this and do that? And did you have to make sure you read, read the Mishnah? And then did you, did you get down and genuflect and, and, and then go through all these motions? No, I, I didn't do anything. In fact, I didn't even ask him to do it. He just came. And he did it. He said, go wash. And I did. I saw. Easy. Simple. <laughs> and therefore, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath because he healed on the Sabbath. He's not of God. How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a great division among them. Notice, instead of just rejoicing with the man, I mean, think of it. When somebody hasn't seen all of their life, they've never known sight at all, and then he comes to sight, he's, he's looking around and he's almost barely able to keep his balance because now he can see things. His brain is like working overtime trying to process all this stuff. And instead of being excited and going, my goodness, this is so awesome. Let's rejoice. Let's kill the fatted calf. Let's have a big celebration and give praise to God. Let's get the guitars out and let's worship the Lord. No, they were the biggest sourpusses on the planet. Can't believe that happened. Then they said to the blind man again, What do you say about him because he opened your eyes? And he said, I, I don't know. He's, he, he's a prophet, I guess. Didn't even know Jesus really that well. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight. Notice, until they called his parents of him who had received his sight, they didn't even want to believe the miracle, and um, they didn't even want to believe the guy was blind. They thought somehow there was some kind of setup here. But it was blatantly obvious, blatantly obvious. What a tragedy this was. Doesn't the Bible tell us in Romans 12, Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. But these guys were just long in the face, a bunch of Eeyores. Verse 19, and they asked him, saying, Is this your son whom you say was born blind? Why then does he now see? And his parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son and that he was indeed born blind. But by what means he now sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we don't know. He's of age. Ask him. He'll speak for himself. And they were afraid. Notice, his parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already that if anyone confessed that he is Christos, the Messiah, God in the flesh, that he would put them out of the synagogue, that the Jews would put them out of the synagogue. Isn't it true that what, what man can't make you do out of your own volition, they can get you to do out of fear?
That's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of John. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.